0: Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe.
1: And I'm Brenna.
0: And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase, Treaty 13 of 1805.
1: And on the Tecumloops Tay Swetmac territory within the unceded traditional lands of Swetmaculu. And today's text, Moxie, is set in Rockport, Texas, the traditional home of the Karankawa, Apache, and cow arwil peoples.
0: Excellent.
1: And Joe, we have a guest today.
0: We do. For a text like Moxie, I can't think of anyone better suited to come on and guest than my good friend, Jen Adams.
2: Hi. I'm so glad to talk about this book with you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, as soon as we programmed it, I was like, oh... I'm just going to put these two women, like badass women, into a virtual room together, and then I'm just going to sit back and let magic happen.
1: Oh, Very excited. <laughs> yes, me too. <laughs> yeah, I saw this on the list and I was like, bing! There we go. I had never heard about it. I mean, I knew the movie had come out, but I hadn't heard about the book or about Jennifer. The audio book that I listened to said Matu or Matau. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Okay, so um, she's a pretty prolific writer. She's got six books out, and her most recent one, by the way, is called "Bad Girls Never Say Die," and it's a gender flipped <laughs> "The Outsiders."
0: I <sighs> know that is so oh, your bag.
1: I know it's totally <laughs> my bag. I'm very excited. Very excited.
0: Yeah, I found this a very delightful book movie combination. And I do think that each one of them has their strengths. But overall, this is one of the stronger adaptations that we've talked about in quite some time.
1: Yeah, I think it really grabs the spirit of the book. And you know, I think there have been some really valid criticisms of both book and film floating around that the white feminism of it all.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I think the film tries and doesn't quite succeed to paper over some of that. Yes. But I can't get over the fact and, you know, whiteness on my sleeve for sure here. But I can't get over the fact that this is totally both the book and film that I really wish I had when I was 15 years old. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> So should I start with a plot summary? Absolutely. Yeah, take it away. Okay. So Vivian Carter is our protagonist, and she attends East Rockport High, which is a football-obsessed school in Texas, um, where basically the boys kind of get away with whatever they want. The flagrant sexual harassment going on Mm -hmm. in this school is like... As bad as anything I witnessed in the 90s. hmm And so I was like, oh, wow, okay, I wanted to believe we were further ahead <laughs> than this. hmm Vivian's never really said anything or stepped out of bounds or challenged the way things are, but she's not happy with it either. And... She gets into her mom's stash of old Riot Girls stuff, which I love. love it. And that, mm. that becomes the precipitating factor in the book for Vivian to make a zine, not a newsletter, a zine.
0: The fact that she can't correct anybody because it would out her is so frustrating because they keep calling it a newsletter and I just want to mm. scream.
1: It's a zine. I know. It's a zine. But she does. She starts to create this like series of zines and leaves them in the bathroom to try to. At first just get girls who are fed up to kind of share their fed upness together, but eventually she starts to spur more and more community action around calling out the bad behavior of boys and eventually staging a walkout. Mhm. Among the other cast of characters, her closest friend Claudia who Kind of thinks feminism is a dirty word and Mm -hmm. would rather everybody just called themselves egalitarians or equalists, which as someone Mm -hmm. who went through such a phase, extremely cringy to read. Oh, no. Same. (laughs) (laughs) There's also the new girl, Lucy, who she's got these fresh eyes on East Rockport and she can kind of look around and be like you guys the way people behave here is really messed up like people aren't like this other places you should do something Mm -hmm. about it and so the girls begin to kind of coalesce around the zine around Lucy's enthusiasm um, to try to challenge the school's norms there's also a boy obviously Seth who is
0: He's a manic pixie dream boy, isn't he? (laughs) He's
1: totally a manic pixie dream boy. And in the book, he's a new guy as well, new to the community and kind of creeped out and freaked out by the way the football boys in particular behave. But Mm. one of the things I like best about the inclusion of Seth's character is that he's actually not perfect. He doesn't always understand what Vivian is so upset about and he very much needs to keep interjecting this not all men mm-hmm. narrative, which I think is really important to sort of the complexity of the politics in the book generally. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. And so it all kind of culminates around a big walkout in support of, well, sort of against all these policies and all these practices, but also in support of a girl who's been sexually assaulted. And... Um, yeah, it's kind of about finding your political voice and a uh, modern reinterpretation of a, of a 90s feminism that I wish was with us more tangibly now. And uh, mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun. It's super fun. Yeah,
2: it is really fun. It just was such a joy to listen to and read and I've been reading some really heavy stuff. And this was it was really uplifting. Like I cried a couple of times. it' mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> it's just it was so delightful.
0: Yeah, Jen, this is one of the the main reasons why Brenna and I get a kick out of YA, because you can get these kind of uplifting stories, you can get these revelatory stories, you can get the stories that actually spur the reader to embrace political activism, but they're often packaged in such an accessible mm. and exciting way because, I don't know, like those teens, I got the fresh vibrancy and vitality that these old bones just don't have anymore. Oh,
1: <laughs> well, it's an energy thing, I think, more than anything. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: there's such a feeling of like possibility mm-hmm. with it, you know? Because I think what's really interesting about this and what like initially drew me into the story was the thought of like the 90s feminist mother kind of not necessarily literally birthing, although she did give birth to her, birthing like this new generation of feminism Mm -hmm. where like you don't have the reality of a day to day job and like you have the structure of school, but like there's just the possibility of Mm -hmm. using your voice in a way that I think is harder for adults to do or as grownups tell themselves it's harder to do Mm -hmm. as we get older.
0: Yeah, I really was attracted to the generational divide, so we've not Mm -hmm. talked about it, but... Vivian's mom had left this small town with her husband, and then he died, and she had to come back because she was a single mother, and they live next door to her parents, so Vivian spends a fair amount of time with Mima and Papa or whatever she calls her <laughs> the grandparents and There's a very strict divide between their approach to politics and how they mm. just don't engage and then Vivian's mom, who of course was very engaged but has since kind of eased off it as she has I guess encountered the realities of what middle-aged single parent requires of you, right? Like, you have to have a job. You sometimes have to compromise on the political ambitions of your uh, romantic partner. And then we've got Mm -hmm. Vivian, who is really on the precipice of, like, who does she want to become as a young woman? And I love that that also gets juxtaposed with Lucy and Claudia and the reasons why people do and don't engage. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the most powerful things about this book is it really shows – why people don't speak up a lot of times and how mm-hmm. scary it can be to feel like you're going to be the only one and why that keeps people from, you know, speaking out and using their voice, especially in a, a pretty conservative town. I mean, I think we can assume mm-hmm. in Texas, it's going to be yeah. pretty conservative. Like I am kind of from a town similar, like I'm in the South and, you know, my parents kind of have really conservative ideation. And so it it's, it's really easy to just kind of let it go and just not say what you think at dinner. And I just, I think, If I had read this as a teenager, I think maybe it would have given me a little more courage to speak up.
1: Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah, she definitely... Vivian as the main character, it's it's a real blossoming that occurs over the course of the book. And I think, you know, that's another thing that YA often gives us are these real arcs of growth, which Mm -hmm. mm, are often absent from fiction for adults. So not only is she kind of recognizing her own power and her ability to organize her peers, But she's also becoming aware of things like she sees two of her friends kiss and she's like, I'm going to keep this secret because that's probably a really hard thing Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. to
1: try to be and have happen in this town, which is hard enough to be like a cisgender white girl in this town, Mm -hmm. let alone for her for her queer friends to be able to be out. And so as the book progresses, we see progression in Viv's capacity for empathy which I think is part of what makes her such a compelling protagonist and someone who you really do root for throughout the book even when she's being bratty with her mom
0: oh my god the (laughs) stuff with her mom is so frustrating
1: I know (laughs) it is but also you guys he voted republican like I mean Uh, yeah
0: (laughs) mm.
1: what are we compromising on here exactly right yeah yeah and I thought that was interesting
2: to see kind of her mom rationalizing being with someone like that now I will say I feel like voting Republican when this book was written which was what 2013 Hmm. I feel like was a little bit less of a deal breaker for me than it would be today but yeah and that that's part of what I think about when I think about like the compromises that you make when you're a grown up is like it just becomes easier to rationalize away your ideology yes. in the face of like the reality around
1: you. you know? Just for the record, I have the first publication date as 2017. So, uh, okay, mm. so take that back. <laughs> 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 yeah, I feel like post 2016,
0: no yeah. forgiveness, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> uh... I will say one of the things that I really appreciated was, and I feel like we need to have a larger, more fulsome conversation about feminism and how it's depicted in its multifacetedness in this book. But what I really enjoyed was how there is never a struggle to claim ownership over Moxie. So Mm -hmm. particularly in the book, different girls use it in ways that are meaningful and impactful for them. And the other girls rally behind it. And Vivian... Wants to share the secret, but not because she feels ownership over it, but mostly because she hates having to lie to people. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, and it's the Spartacus moment at the end is one of the few times that I've really felt moved by a moment like that. And I think that it you just really feel the power of strength in numbers, Mm -hmm. which was one of the times I
1: cried.
0: (laughs) Yeah, me too.
1: (laughs) Absolutely,
2: yeah. (laughs) yeah and just them all marching out and her talking about the ponytails and like the the sneakers that she was seeing. it was just is such a beautiful depiction of like finding out how many people there
1: are that are with you. It was just so really moving well in such an important moment where you know the assumptions that vivian has been making about someone like emma all this time yes. really unpacked mm-hmm. right so emma's a cheerleader and vivian has on more than one occasion thought about approaching her mostly for her kind of popularity and strength to pull mm-hmm. people on side um but she always chickens out and she really does see emma i think as representing a lot of these kinds of patriarchal things, right? In many ways, Emma Mm -hmm. is a quote-unquote beneficiary from the kinds of behaviors that are rewarded at the school. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yet what we discover in that walkout scene is, of course, that Emma has her own struggle, that she too suffers from the structures that Mm -hmm. reward the kinds of behaviors that happen at the school. And just because that suffering isn't outward or just because she also gets some sort of benefits, maybe. It's just been easy for other girls to judge her too. And so this this notion of a broader understanding of sisterhood that I think the book is trying to get at is really important. Now that sisterhood uh-huh. is also, even within the context of the book and its desire to engage with conversations about race, I think it's pretty tentative on those conversations. Mm-hmm. And there uh-huh. certainly isn't a maybe a very broad <laughs> understanding of gender or how gender functions in the book. And I think we'll talk about it when we get to the film, but I think the film tries to unpack some of that. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely something that is, I think, an absence in the book that I found a little bit, maybe not disappointing, but certainly something that I noticed in a way that I don't know if I would have noticed it even five years ago when the book was published. So Mm -hmm. I think there is sort of our notion of particularly I think for white women, our notion of what feminism is and should be and, and who it speaks for has been necessarily challenged a lot in the last decade or so. Um, and I think mm-hmm. this book is really drawing on maybe an older, slightly older. understanding yeah. of feminism. But it also makes sense because it's echoing the history of the Riot Girl movement, which was also a pretty white movement Mm -hmm. You know, it was Mm -hmm. located in the Pacific Northwest primarily and really structured around a particular kind of able-bodied feminism, able-bodied white Mm -hmm. feminism. So, you know, I think the book is wrestling with all that legacy and trying to do it and maybe not always hitting the mark. But I did appreciate particularly... For a YA text dealing with feminism where these things often get erased, I I appreciated the book's attempt to sort of struggle with the kind of racialized cliques in the school and its interest Mm -hmm. in the kinds of limitations that are placed on a Lucy character versus a Vivian character.
2: Yeah, and that's something that I did enjoy uh, being a little more stated Mm -hmm. in the film adaptation. And I think you're right. And I enjoyed kind of reading this and seeing the struggle through this, because I think the reason that I can kind of give feminists a lot of grace is, one, because I think the patriarchy is successful when it's able to turn women against Mm -hmm. each other. Mm -hmm. And I think that every wave of feminism, like this is probably oversimplistic, but I I think of every wave of feminism as kind of defined by... A central issue, you know, and I think fourth wave feminism is really gonna be defined by this wrestling with intersectionality Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out who like what you said, who feminism is for, and how to be inclusive. It, what it really is, is just allowing yourself to be wrong sometimes mm-hmm. and saying, I can still make my point and understand that m- what I say is going to affect you differently. And I think when you feel like you have been oppressed for so long, it's really hard to take a step back mm-hmm. and say, "Oh, maybe I am wrong. And I see fourth wave feminism and this novel struggling with that. And I hope that By the time we get to the fifth wave, we've kind of figured that out in a way that I think we've kind of wrestled with the issues of second and third wave feminism. Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, one of the things that's important about the way Vivian's character is constructed is exactly what you're talking about, Jen, the need to be able to be wrong in order to grow, right? Mm -hmm. And and we see that in Vivian's character. And I think part of what Mathieu does so well in this book is give us a protagonist who is imperfect and who um, grows tremendously. Someone you'd want to be or at least be friends with throughout the book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I found that really, really helpful in that exploration of the journey and being afraid of making mistakes and the ways in which she learns to, you know, push back against Seth, for example, Mm -hmm. when he's like, but not all boys. And the first time she kind of lets him get away with it. And the second time she's like actually though why <laughs> right. do you feel the need to be so dismissive of what I'm describing right and so mm-hmm. we see that too with her mom and the way she sort of comes to learn to accept that her mom is different and has different priorities and it is a different space in her life you know like those things are things you screw up when you're a teenager <laughs> uh-huh. consistently and so it's nice mm-hmm. to see Vivian have those struggles too yeah I loved her
2: relationship with Seth, too, because I feel like that is a a thing that you learn also, is there's a big difference between Seth and someone like, not Patrick, Mitchell. (laughs) Patrick Schwarzenegger. And so being able to recognize that and saying, Seth, Seth, he has been raised in the system too. Mm-hmm. And it, I appreciated the acknowledgement that it's hard for boys who really want to do the right thing to know what that right thing is. And yeah. it's really easy for me to want to turn on them because it is somebody who I think would hear a criticism
1: that would bounce right back off a person like Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's nice that Seth also grows over the course of the narrative, mm-hmm. right? And it's not... I mean, there's a real challenge here to the notion of the nice guy and like what we expect of the nice guy as a society. And it's okay for Viv to want more because she knows mm-hmm. that Seth is capable of more, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's so... Mm-hmm cute to see them negotiating those (laughs) conversations with each other because it really is those are conversations that i don't know like i'm 38 years old and i'm still trying to explain to well-meaning sweet kind men at my work Mm -hmm. that they're missing something pretty huge (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. like you never stop negotiating those conversations and no i really like that moxie sets up girls to expect to have to have those conversations and to give them some vocabulary for it Totally. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
0: I can say that I related really deeply to Seth. And I think that's a testament to how well the character is written is how Mm -hmm. authentic he is as an individual, but also how his relationship with Vivian kind of evolves over the course of the book. I have been a Seth, you know, Mm -hmm. I consider myself a feminist, I consider myself an ally. And I have shoved my foot so deep in my own (laughs) mouth. With well meaning intention, Mm -hmm. very frequently. And part of this is that it's really hard to consider yourself all of these things and still be open to the idea that you have totally messed it up. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you're right Brenna I really like that there is that negotiation and the expectation that this is something that is going to happen like Seth is not a perfect boy he is a bit of a manic pixie dream boy but only in the way that he is not Mitchell like he Mm -hmm. wouldn't seem as good if we didn't have a Mitchell to contrast him by Mm
1: -hmm.
0: but there's a lot of Seth's in the world as well Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm it doesn't make them the gold standard, like you're still going to have to work on people, people have to continue to work on themselves.
1: Well, part of what makes Seth a Seth, (laughs) and not a Mitchell, is his willingness to learn to Mm -hmm. sort of Mm -hmm. lick his wounds and come back. And um, that's really important. And I think that too, I mean, I'm not sure, given how fiercely and terribly gendered the book market has become. I'm not sure how many boys will pick up this book. But for those who Mm. do, I think Seth offers a good model as well for, you know, that modeling of being wrong and growing through. Those are hard Mm -hmm. things to do. And it's rare that we get a really authentic depiction of that being wrong and growing.
2: Yeah. And I think you said like he is capable of more. And so what I would want, I think that the relationship is one of the best parts of mm. the book. But I think if I were to ask more of Seth, it would be to start saying this too. like there were times when he was saying to Vivian, oh, well, not all boys. Mm-hmm. Or he was saying, yeah, I agree with you. And then in my brain, I would be like, OK, well, can you tell your friends that yeah. I'm like that? <laughs> yeah, too? You right? know? Yeah. Like and that's the next step.
0: He never actually steps up until the walkout, right? Like, sure, he does the stars uh, on the hand, but Mm -hmm. that is the kind of silent protest that initiates the movement. That's not actually contributing to it, except for like emotional and visual support and there were so many times where he would say oh but not all men i think but what are you doing seth like Uh what are you contributing but then i would also think well what is vivian doing in some of these situations like some Mm -hmm. of the best ideas that come out of moxie are not because of vivian they work because vivian ends up taking the back seat and allowing people with better ideas to move forward Mm -hmm.
2: Which, to be honest, is what a lot of us white feminists need to do Mm -hmm. a lot of times. Right? Yes. Yeah. And like one thing that that really frustrated me, because I feel like the book got so close to what I wanted, is Mm. there is a lot of awareness of Vivian hiding behind her anonymity here mm-hmm. and yeah. being able to to just kind of exist in the world and see what's gonna happen because of her words without her words being attached to her and the book gets so close to realizing that that's what white women can do white mm-hmm. straight cis women can do then that's privilege. not available exactly it's like that is the privilege and I think the movie tries to reckon with it a little bit but it's like so close to that realization and I realize like this is me asking a lot because I do think that this story is capable of that kind of understanding and growth but Mm -hmm. it's like yeah you can hide Vivian but your friends can't
0: yeah the fact that she never quite gets to it you know there's a moment where Lucy ends up being punished as Mm -hmm. the de facto face Mm -hmm. of Moxie and Vivian kind of reconciles it but you can tell that she doesn't really understand the class disparity between the two of them like Mm -hmm. she acknowledges it but she doesn't internalize it
1: yeah yeah The class disparity and like the fact that Lucy is more visible, right? She's more visible. She's more visible because she's a new kid who's kicking back against what's going on, but she's also more visible because she's Hispanic and she's more Mm -hmm. visible because the administration is like watching her in a way they would never watch a girl like Vivian. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, Jen, you mentioned the movie, and maybe now is (laughs) a good opportunity to transition over so that we can talk about how Amy Poehler tries to adapt this.
1: Yay. Hey mom, what
0: do 16 uh, year olds care about? When I was 16, all I cared about was smashing the patriarchy and burning it all down. Oh my God.
2: Girls constitute a revolution.
1: Did you hear rankings are already starting? Emma Cunningham's just gonna get ranked most bangable for the second year in a row. Kira Pascal for best ass. Caitlin Price will take best rap.
2: It's so nice not to be on anyone's radar.
0: Totally. You gonna me Seriously? Yes, we Oh can I help you? I don't know, can you? He's bothering you. He's harassing me. <laughs> if you use that word, that means I have to do a bunch of stuff. You know that your school is weird, right? Ignore Mitchell.
2: If you keep your head down, we'll move on and bother somebody else.
1: I'm gonna keep my head up. Hi. Why have we all accepted it? Like no one even blinks. Me and my friends
0: protested everything. Made a ton of mistakes, but you're glad you did it, all right? Of course. What are you gonna do? Nothing.
2: That
1: girl she's queen of Whoever wrote Moxie is a badass. You're not know, messed up. I got sent home for wearing a tank top, meanwhile Jason is constantly shirtless. People refuse to call me
0: by my new name.
1: I don't like being voted best ass. It says to draw hearts and stars on your hands to show support.
0: That's hot.
2: All the boys here, use all the help to they can get. Don't keep secrets from me. I'm actually already pregnant. It's a very funny joke,
0: right? So, the film Moxie is from 2021 and it casts Hadley Robinson as Vivian, Lauren Sai as Claudia, Alicia Pasquale Pena as Lucy, Nico Haregg as Seth. Patrick Schwarzenegger as his <laughs> Mitchell,
1: oh, Sydney so Park
0: as Kira, <laughs> uh, Josephine Langford as Emma, Angelica Washington as Amaya, Emily Hopper as Meg, that is our disabled character who gets all of the wisecracks, uh, Josie Tota as CJ, that is our trans character who is never- She's so explicitly... underused. Oh my god, yeah. mm-hmm.
1: you've got Josie Tota and you give her one line. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Uh, and of course, then our adult cast: Amy Poehler as Lisa Vivian's mom, Clark Gregg as John Herb paramour from the hospital, Ike Barinholtz as Mr. Davies, the put upon English teacher and Marcia Gay Harden as Principal Shelley in a gender flip.
2: Yes, that gender flip was really interesting.
0: I mm. really I liked it and I want to talk about it. I did
2: too. <laughs> yes. And I was not expecting it because I saw the movie first and then I started reading that not only in the book is it is a man, but it's Patrick's dad. Sorry, not Patrick Mitchell. Mitchell. <laughs> Mitchell. He's just so intertwined with Patrick Schwarzenegger. He's so <laughs> Patrick Schwarzenegger. No, which I have a lot of thoughts about him too. But it's just, I love that acknowledgement that like women play the game too. And mm. she's kind mm. of like a grown up version of Emma. Or the Emma that starts the novel. Yes. A lot of women play the game because it benefits them if you know how to.
1: Well, in mm-hmm. many ways, it's an easier story with a boo-hiss dude uh, mm-hmm. a villain, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's much more complex. And I think a lot of particularly young women have grown up challenging or challenged by women who, for whatever reason, have felt that the way they behave is the way they have had to behave in order Mm -hmm. to succeed within a patriarchal system, right? And sometimes those models are really useful, transgressive, subversive models, and sometimes they're really not, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, And it happens in ways large and small. Like, I consider my mom a pretty kick-ass feminist, but we've had these really big debates recently because as someone who works in a university, and I deal with (laughs) tenured men's emotional easy fits like all day long (laughs) i really push back against the idea that you know you can't cry in the workplace there can be no tears particularly Mm -hmm. and my mom is very much like well you can't because you know that makes you emotionally vulnerable and it takes power away from your position and i really resent the notion that i have to live the emotional life of a dude (laughs) in order to be taken seriously at work right particularly because anybody who's ever sat in a department meeting has seen at least one white guy yell throw Mm -hmm. something uh, or have some kind of major angry emotional outburst Mm mm-hmm while women are demonized for crying in a department meeting or seen as being emotionally manipulative for having tears, right? And mm-hmm. so it's interesting because, yeah, like, there's a generational divide. My mom could never have gotten away with crying in the workplace. Like, that mm-hmm. would have been a career-ending move for her. Mm-hmm. Whereas I reject that, right? And I – because I have the capacity to push a little bit further just because of my station in life in a different period of time. And mm-hmm. so I really like – The ways in which the principal character, we get to see her reckon a little bit, like not enough because she's still the villain of a teen movie. So she has (laughs) to be like a villainous principal. But in those last scenes in the movie where she's listening to what the girls are saying outside for the first time and she finds herself in a position where she's realizing that she's actually she has not been on the side of what's right, right? Like Mm -hmm. she really has screwed up and we have this sort of moment of of realization. I really liked that because I think particularly as Jen was saying, the waves of feminism have meant that there have always been intergenerational struggles within the feminist Mm -hmm. movement, right? And those have taken very different forms over the years. So I kind of, I think it's a much more complicated and nuanced and challenging choice to not just have the principal be an out of touch dude who's protecting his creepy son. Mm -hmm.
0: I agree with you about the gender flip. And I strongly disagree with you that that moment at the end is there. If only because I don't feel that it's earned at all, Mm. and it feels far too pat. I much preferred the ending where these people end up getting run out of town on a wave of public opinion. Because Mm -hmm. not only did that feel... And Jen, feel free to clap back at me for this. It felt (laughs) a little bit more appropriately Southern, where your reputation is like paramount. Mm -hmm. Like this idea that you would lose face as a public figure if something like this happened to the point where you would have to sell your house overnight and just move. But more so because it felt like an actual reckoning. Like, I like Marcia Gay Harden as an actress. She often plays these slightly icy roles, especially when she's an authoritarian but here I was like, no, I haven't gotten any kind of insight that you learned your lesson. And to then see, oh, okay, well, now I'm going to listen to these girls because there was a giant walkout. It just felt eh. I needed more if they were going to go there.
1: I just want yeah. to say that I don't think it was successful either, <laughs> <This is their laughs> necessarily. I don't think it was emotionally earned, but I did okay, appreciate it. Okay, Brenna, you're hysterical. Trying. Take a breath.
0: Take a breath. <laughs>
1: I just appreciated them trying to negotiate okay. that difficult relationship. Because the book's yeah. ending Fair. is probably more satisfying, but also in a lot of ways easier. Like, they're just gone now, so yeah. they don't have to talk about it anymore. Okay, yeah. yes. Yes.
2: There are things that I I love about both endings. And I think what I loved about the film ending is, yes, I like you watch her, Marsha Gay Harden watching out the window. And it's almost like you can see her wishing she was there and Mm. like seeing that kind of realization. Like, oh, maybe if I had maybe if there had been a group when I was this age, I wouldn't have to like feed this patriarchy the way that I do. But I feel like you don't walk into the woods for a lifetime and then walk back out in an afternoon mm-hmm. because of a walkout, not to you know be a pun. But the thing that I really loved about that ending, and this kind of goes into Imla's declaration of when she um, when she talks about being assaulted, is that it did not feel real at all to me. But it felt like what we could have, you know, mm. like this is what it should mm. be. This is what I want it to be. Because she walks right into the the room and pulls him out. And how many times does that yeah. happen?
1: You <laughs> know? Never.
2: Mm. Never ever. <laughs> and this is like when I was teaching, I just kept thinking like – we're teaching this generation to see what they want the world to be. And if they mm-hmm. see right. something like this happen, then when they are older and they are in power, then maybe it will happen, you know? And so that's the moment in the film that I really loved. But I did also like the whole, the reputation, and they do get run out of town because they realize that there's enough people in the town, not just the school that agree with the girls who are pushing back and Mm -hmm. like we don't see what happens the next day with Marcia Gay Harden like maybe she does maybe the list happens next year and she still doesn't do anything about it
1: and just Mm -hmm. doing this one thing I I don't you know how much change is that going to make But the book leaves us with that question, too, because it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, so these two left town. I mean, did they leave leave town to protect their reputations or did they leave town to not deal with consequence, right? Like, I think that's a question. And the girls (laughs) are wondering, like, okay, we've got this guy who seems okay right now, but he also hasn't actually been faced with anything. Mm -hmm. Right. I guess I think about the characters in the book who I wanted to know more about. Like, Mm -hmm. how do her grandparents react when they find out? Because Mm -hmm. when we leave the book... For the most part, they're still kind of protecting their grand her grandparents from this sort of new political side to herself, right? And so, yeah. mm-hmm. does the town actually care? Is there a critical mass, or mm-hmm. can this dude just not be a principal anymore? Because like right. those are not the same thing, right? Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And will there be a backlash during the next football season? You yeah. Know, which yeah. is likely to happen, you know? Yeah. And there's this whole like protecting the older generation that I'm glad you mentioned because that is a very real thing. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, we can't disrupt their delicate sensibilities, <laughs> which is how real change never happens, it's because mm-hmm. it's too, it feels too inconvenient for people to change mindsets they've had for 60 years. Right. Mm-hmm. But we're supposed to just sacrifice our rights and our bodies to
1: it, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, and in many ways, right, we have Vivian's mom who has – she has sacrificed her politics to a quiet Mm -hmm. life with her parents because she needs them, right? Mm -hmm. And it's this sort of constant negotiation. And as Viv is trying to speak more openly about what's happening at school with her grandparents, like, her mima in particular is always like, oh, well, let's Mm -hmm. not talk about that. Like, oh, well, let's not Mm -hmm. deal with that. And, yeah, her grandfather makes jokes as well, but there's something that I think every – young person who is becoming more politically aware has experience from someone they love, which is that kind of like oh, well, I need you to not talk about this. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I need you to not talk about this so that we can keep getting along with each other. And mm-hmm. it's that hurts. Like that's a really painful thing to negotiate. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, so can we talk about a couple of key differences between the texts? Because one of the things that I think is so much more effective in the film is the switch from all the girls wearing bathrobes to all of the girls wearing tank tops. And I'm curious mm. to hear your thoughts on that.
2: Mm. I'm interested to hear yours because I kind of enjoyed the bathroom thing yeah. or the ba- the bathrobe thing yeah. more because I felt like Sorry. like oh no, that's okay. <laughs> Someone was just really agreeing with me. (laughs) Yeah, he is. (laughs) Um, The bathrobe thing, and I wonder if it just felt safer to me Mm. to imagine myself wearing a bathrobe to school than um, to wear a tank top.
0: So the reason that I really liked it is because the bathrobe felt a little childish to me and it was mm. uh, it wasn't addressing the point so I could mm-hmm. understand why like it might have actually felt safer to a lot of girls because it didn't ask them to put their bodies on display but to mm. me the principle of the issue was the fact that oh women's skin is too distracting to teenage boys and it hampers their learning mm-hmm. and I will confess, I literally had this happen to me in high school where girls were pulled out of classes and told you either have to put on a sweater, you have to put on a t-shirt, or we will send you home. And it was about protecting boys Mm -hmm. over girls as though they were somehow more valuable. So Mm -hmm. for me, seeing a parade of girls in thin strap tank tops felt like the ultimate F you that I really wish I could have seen in real life.
2: Mm. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. And uh, because that is the real issue. And that is the thing that you can get around because you become shapeless with a bathrobe. Mm -hmm. And it's I think it just speaks to like how internalized a lot of this ideology is in me, you know, because I would feel uncomfortable with my body on display in that Mm -hmm. way. But that's one of the paradigm shifts that I want to not I want to get out of, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, it shouldn't be wrong. And it shouldn't feel uncomfortable, you know,
0: because I do love that one character with the larger breasts who says, this is my body, this is what I want to wear. And I shouldn't Mm -hmm. have to apologize for that. And I just thought, I have known a lot of girls who fit that description. And I don't know why we as a society feel that it's okay to shame them about the way that they are. We don't do that with Ben ever
1: mm-hmm. i think i agree with you joe that visually it makes a bigger statement part mm-hmm. of what it also does is draw attention to the fact that like in the book it's really clear that it's not about the tank tops right like girls are being pulled aside for wearing tank tops because they're more developed they have larger breasts their bodies are seen as more distracting than mm-hmm. other girls mm-hmm. but the flip side is that um thinking back to myself as a teenager kind of like what jen's describing, like. I wouldn't have done the tank top protest, but I totally would have done right. the bathrobe protest. Okay. And so for me, I think it felt more authentic as a first step for Moxie to do mm. the bathrobe thing okay, than it did in the film with the tank tops. But I get why it works better in the film, if that makes sense. I mm-hmm. personally went to a performing arts high school, so we did not have a dress code. If anybody mm-hmm. had tried to enforce a dress code they would have ended up being the (laughs) subject of like a performance piece in the hallway so (laughs) totally different atmosphere yeah that was my high school too (laughs) nice (laughs) um but for me personally that idea of like using my body as a political messaging tool was like well beyond what I was capable of at 16 for sure right yeah
2: yeah, because it's one thing to have that that as an idea in your head and to see it on screen, but it's another to actually feel your body doing that. And mm-hmm. right. it's just a really hard shift to make.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what did we think of the sticker campaign? Because it's almost exactly the same, except that in the book, Viv... Deliberately get super adhesive backing so that <laughs> yes! it can't be peeled off. And that was actually one of the things that I was a little bothered about in the film because scared. there's a moment where we see the Patrick Schwarzenegger character, Mitchell, he just peels it off of his backpack and proudly puts it onto his shirt. And there's no aggravation. And I think it just diminishes the impact. Because really, this is the moment in the book where Lucy gets into big trouble because it's not just vandalizing school property, but it's Mm -hmm. like, that would be very expensive to remove.
1: Well, that's the thing. It's kind of strange, right? Because the tank top change, like, ups the stakes in what's happening at school versus the book. And the the stickers drop the stakes. Because I don't think anybody would get in trouble for vandalism from stickers that can actually really be easily peeled off, right? It's the fact that, like the care staff is going to have to go through and like scrape the lockers down. Mm -hmm. That is the bigger issue yeah well
2: and I think the thing that I appreciated more about the stickers in the book is it feels like it, it fits better into the narrative because mm-hmm. it is a direct reaction to this bump and grab thing which mm-hmm. is horrific yeah. I was like if anybody did that to me I would have a hard time not punching them in the face you know right? and so yeah. it just feels like this this way of making a point of you are treating my body as property and I am now treating your body as property and while I liked the visual of it in the movie it doesn't really seem to correlate with anything other than just her overall anger
0: yeah they
1: take out that whole bump and grab thing in the film mm-hmm. right like they do i get it because there's a level at which it feels
0: exploitative
1: well no just like this is happening like in schools and you know it's hard to imagine and no. then at the same time i bet it's totally happening uh-huh. in yes. schools yeah. you know what I mean? but i wonder if for the filmmakers they thought it was like a push too far or something
0: I wonder the same thing about the removal of Claudia being sexually assaulted by Mitchell. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that was one of the things, like like Jen, I saw the film first and then I read the book and then watched the movie again. And I don't think I wanted to see that, but part mm-hmm. of it did feel a bit like a de-escalation of the stakes because mm-hmm. it meant that no one was personally sexually harassed that Viv knew well. Mm -hmm. Like, it it was almost easier to do the white feminism, like, oh, well, that doesn't directly impact me, so I'm outraged, but also I don't have to do anything. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, it also makes it so that in the film, it's a date rape, which isn't, I'm not saying, like, that's a lesser rape or anything, but, like, Mm -hmm. Mitchell's not, like, a serial predator in the film. He's, Mm -hmm. like, a really gross dude who takes serious liberties on campus and also date raped his girlfriend, which mm-hmm. is a slightly different dynamic than the Mitchell Wilson of the book, who is literally browling the halls, Looking assaulting women. Yeah, mm-hmm. like. And in the book, I believe like
2: Emma does actually say she was raped. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. In the movie, she says she was raped, but in mm-hmm. the book, she says he almost raped me. He almost tried to yeah. rape me, which I think is an interesting. Like I appreciated that they escalated that mm-hmm. in the movie, and maybe that was a way to kind of compromise without having to show mm. anything. Yeah, because I mean that would be an upsetting scene It'll to be show. Very and I wonder if the bump and grab just seemed like a hard thing to visually depict you know
0: i think without losing the kind of more fun vibe that the film is going for like mm-hmm. there's something very raw raw feminism about the film where mm-hmm. you're like yeah now i want to listen to bikini kill and i want to start a zine <laughs> and also <laughs> protest men yeah it goes down easy as a film Mm -hmm. because we've got these great musical numbers and like we can benefit from editing and that kind of stuff right
1: yeah and joe and i've watched a fair number of ya films that have a sexual assault component that are not this sort of like a joyful tone Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. and some of them have been extremely disturbing and some of the scenes where we've seen women in moments of peril in particular have been like deeply upsetting yes Like, I'm just not sure if in 2021, there is a way to show a guy. And it's funny, because we used to see it in teen comedies all the time, right? Like, a dude grabbing a butt or whatever was, Mm -hmm. like, very common. Like, I'm literally picturing four different scenes in Dawson's Creek where where (laughs) that happened. I was gonna say,
0: Brenna, just wait until next week, because I guarantee (laughs) you, we will get a casual sexual assault and She's All That.
1: Mm -hmm. But I don't think we can get that. I don't think that happens in 2021. And I think... In some ways, while I understand that the film wants a certain tone and so avoids that, it's also sort of, I feel like I want to see a film in 2021 wrestle with that because I think that is still the reality. Mm And certainly a lot of college campuses and certainly a lot of high schools. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. It's a hard line to find, I think, and I think the rape revenge genre has been kind of reevaluating the way that is depicted in a lot of ways because mm-hmm. you know you mm-hmm. it can be really triggering and it can be really exploitative. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, maybe in the next couple of years, that will filter down. And the way I see the horror genre kind of redesigning the way a lot of rape revenge movies are shown, and a lot of that just has to do with like letting a female voice tell the story.
0: Yes. I can make an interesting, if maybe not altogether, successful recommendation. It is a little bit more of a thriller, but it has a very strong feminist take back the night vibe. It's a one and done show called Sweet Vicious, and mm. it was about two women, their college age, but they basically become their own kind of vigilante justice mob who go after men who attack women or who are like preying on women on their college campus
2: well that sounds like my jam (laughs) oh
0: yeah jen you will love it (laughs) brenna it might be a little too much for you (laughs) most things are (laughs) (laughs) so we've got a couple minutes left and i'm interested to talk about just this cast of characters like i'm interested that we have deliberately done an inclusion flip on a number of these characters i'm also interested in how successful you both feel that was
1: I want to talk in particular on this question around both the way disability and gender diversity are dealt with in the film. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because it feels to me...
0: Tokenism! Yeah. it feels <laughs> uh-huh.
1: Both the character of CJ and the character of Meg. And I think maybe particularly the character of CJ because of the one line that she has. In both cases, it feels like the film knows that it wants to be inclusive, yes. but doesn't want to have to do anything with None the, of the plot work. or structure <laughs> to actually no. be inclusive. So Josie Tota in particular, who the target audience of this film will have seen transition mm-hmm. on screen in their lifetime. Like she's a pretty important voice for young trans folk and particularly for like the idea of transness in hollywood and controlling mm-hmm. your own identity like we talked when we talked about say by the bell we talked about how josie tota got herself a producer's credit and got in the writer's room so she could make sure her character was being depicted like honestly yeah and then you end up with the way they use cj in this film which is she has exactly one line and she says people don't even want to use my new name and yeah. someone else says even the teachers and she says yep and from that, you're supposed to be like, oh, this is the trans character. And this is the mm-hmm. trans storyline. Like, yeah. to me, it's kind of egregious.
0: So Jen, I'm interested. Did you even catch that? Or did you flag it? Because Brenna and I, we were on notice because we had watched like a full season of Say by the Bell. And it's a huge element of that show. But mm-hmm. I feel like you could actually watch Moxie completely miss that line and just think, oh, yeah, that's just another girl. Didn't didn't catch it.
2: I, I did not. Now, I was writing, I was reviewing it, so I did kind of do, I I caught it on, like, some of the background research I was doing. But yeah, if I had no, because I hadn't seen Save by the Bell, and so I would have no, I mean, there's an inkling there. I feel like it's a hint, but mm-hmm. it's like, the hint is almost worse than mm-hmm. not right? having the inclusion there. And that's how <laughs> I felt about the character who's in the wheelchair, and I can't remember her name, which I think speaks to the- Speaks to everything. Yeah. It's yeah. like- If you don't have them, like, actually engaging in the plot of the story, then it is totally tokenism.
0: Yeah, particularly when the character of Meg, the girl in the wheelchair, is literally introduced chastising Emma and Mm -hmm. the other cheerleaders for blocking the handicap-accessible ramp. And you're like, okay, so she's a bit of a firecracker, she's going to have a personality, and then they literally just use her to drop kind of disability jokes throughout the film. Oh, you're putting me in the back again. How how novel? And I just thought, no, movie. You're either gonna make this character significant or you need to really question whether she should be in here. Because mm-hmm. I think particularly for disabled viewers, seeing themselves captured in such and the same with I think probably trans viewers, seeing themselves depicted as like, well, you're present, but not important enough to actually be a character. Mm -hmm. That is rude.
1: It is. And I think you're pinpointing what's so frustrating about Meg's character is like, this appears to actually be someone who Viv could learn a lot about activism from. Mm -hmm. And instead, no, No. nothing. Yeah. 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 And the kind of person that cannot hide. And
2: what mm-hmm. like strikes me is we don't ever see the ramp that she uses. You know, no. she just makes this point and then she disappears from the screen. And it's like mm-hmm. she is the kind of person that she cannot hide what she needs and she can't stop asking for it. It's just not available to her.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I appreciate her showing up in the group numbers and people making an effort to dance with her in the club scene. But that's just not enough. Like I demand more.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's part of me that wants to give the movie grace for trying and saying, okay, this is like, there's a realization happening here. It's just kind of like what we were talking about in the book. It's like, if you can understand part of this story, I need you to go further and challenge yourself to try to understand everything that we are kind of capable of understanding right now about these issues.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: I am wondering if some stuff got left on the cutting room floor, particularly on Josie Tota's character. I read a bunch of interviews with her from before the film came out, which were very much like this, you know, trans-inclusive girl oh, movie. No. Which suggests <laughs> to me, and just given how vocal and activist we know she has mm-hmm. been in other contexts, I'm wondering if there's a whole storyline missing. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah, but again, what does that tell us about whose stories get told and whose stories get prioritized?
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, to be clear, I'm madder about that. (laughs) Uh, No, no, I I take that.
0: (laughs) And it's tough, right? Because at the end of the day, I do think that Hadley Robinson is doing a really good balancing job of being that kind of very familiar, quiet white girl who ends up having this great arc. But part of me just thinks what would this film look like if Lucy had been the main character mm-hmm. or Meg or mm-hmm. CJ? That to me would have been the 2021 version of this film that I wanted mm-hmm. to yeah.
2: see. And there's part of me that thinks, I think a lot of white girls need to see this movie and see themselves in Vivian and see themselves challenged. Yeah. yeah. But then on the other hand, like, I've had a lot of stories told for me. You know, I've been the main character a lot of times. You know, I should ask more of myself and for, you know, our our daughters
0: and sisters. I think it's just a testament that we continue to need these kinds of stories, but we also need more of these stories and more diversity and inclusion in these stories so that Mm -hmm. it doesn't become a, oh, there's the one. And if Mm -hmm. they get it wrong, then that's all that we have. Right. And I'm not even suggesting Moxie's getting it wrong, but you're right, Jen. It's it's hard to watch it and be like, ugh, just push a little bit further. Mm-hmm. Like, take mm-hmm. that next step. That's what I want.
2: I'm hearing you say we need a sequel, I think. I would watch a sequel. I would watch. I would, would too. Watch. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Because I feel like, you know, what we get instead is like Pitch Perfect with Anna Kendrick, where she just goes to college and her idea of feminism is mocking other women who have a passion for singing, and then she gets herself a record deal. Mm. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's not the trajectory that we need to be following.
2: Yep, (laughs) that's how you end up being Marcia Gay Harden at a (laughs) a principal in a school. (laughs) Yes,
0: indeed. (laughs) So, ladies, can I interest you in a game of YA bingo? <laughs> oh, my God, yes. always. Bingo! <laughs> Not a good bingo. So, Jen, as our guest, you get to go first.
2: Um, I would like to pick musicality
0: yes
2: because of the inspirational song um this was also a little embarrassed to say the first time i had heard this song and Uh, it really awakened like a lot of like really fun feminist anger Mm -hmm. in me and it just was it was great and i love the idea of building on the women who came before us and kind of using music to like create a (laughs) matriarchy
0: Yeah, Rebel mm-hmm. Girl is a banger, huh? Mhm. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, and it's like just encapsulated rage, you know.
0: Mhm. Okay. Do you have any others you'd like to add?
2: Um, well, there's abuse too, which is, um, you know, I was thinking in terms of Emma, but then like, if we're thinking about the film, then there's like Mitchell spitting in her Coke that felt very aggressive and very upsetting, you know, Mm -hmm. in a way that when we were talking about when they toned down or they didn't show, um, some of the, the sexual assault, I feel like his demeanor and his just kind of domineering presence gets to that without showing it.
0: Yeah, I actually tweeted that Patrick Schwarzenegger is kind of cornering the market on playing these kind of despicable hot characters.
2: <laughs> uh-huh. He does it
0: really well.
2: Oh my gosh, he really does. <laughs> yeah, I, you love to hate him in this movie, and he just really pulls it off.
0: <laughs> uh, okay, Brenna, do you have any?
1: All right, I want to start by seconding musicality just because I'm going to wedge a book recommendation in here.
0: <laughs> oh, I see what you have to.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm doing it. Um, which is Carrie Brownstein's Hunger Makes Me a Modern Girl, which is her memoir of the Slater Kinney years, which is hmm. the band that she started, which was very much part of the Riot Girl movement of the mid 90s. Okay. And the memoir itself is fantastic. So anyway, that's just a recommendation. If you finished Moxie and you were like, I want to know more about Riot Girls," you should definitely read Hunger Makes Me a Modern Girl. Cool. Sounds awesome it's really it's really good <laughs> um, i'm gonna go with ableism based on everything mm-hmm. we talked about yeah uh manic pixie dream person for seth who we haven't talked about as much as i expected us to but mm-hmm. um is one uh-
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes and a uh, quick shout out to nico Hareg because he is delightful oh, just God, so adorable so in this movie
1: oh so cute <laughs> um netflix connection mm-hmm. obviously I think we can go with a little bit of stunt casting, a little stunt casting for the moms in seeing Amy Poehler in that role, I think, Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. And you guys are explaining to me that this Patrick Schwarzenegger person is famous in some way, so maybe him too, I don't know.
0: (laughs) He's only Arnold Schwarzenegger's son.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, literally? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Maria Shriver. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, He's a little dreamy, too. (laughs) 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 I'm going to give it coincidental classes uh, credit for Mr. Davies' fairly useless English class (laughs) Mm. yeah
0: I -hmm. I will say I'm not always the biggest fan of Ike Berenholtz, but this is kind of the way that I like to see him use he feels like a version of Seth grown up and gone to seed where he just doesn't even know how to engage in the dialogue anymore
1: Mm -hmm. I really was wondering how they were going to go with him because he's so likable and so kind of proto-feminist in the Mindy project Mm -hmm. so it was interesting to see because Mr. Davis in the book is awful he's deplorable right mm-hmm. yeah deplorable and so to see him get this spin like at the i i will admit that my desire to have a whole class of people do oh captain my captain um really mm. like that grew two sizes when he like flashes <laughs> his hearts and stars at the end of the movie i was mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. yep <laughs> uh, is that that can't be everything no i got a couple Oh, good more. friendships good yeah. friendships huge mm-hmm. good friendships very 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 important mm-hmm. um and inclusion flip obviously yes. even if we don't think it was 100 percent successful yep
0: yeah, um, I'm going to throw in queer secondary character because we do yeah. have Josie Tota, but then we also have the oh, actual the queer relationship between Lucy and the other girl whose name...
1: Mariessa. Yes, mm-hmm. sure.
0: I'm also going to give a perfect date square to the funeral home date yeah. because mm-hmm. it's a little macabre, but I also kind of love it. And again, this endeared me to Seth because... I was very much raised by mothers and uh, sisters. So everything that he's talking about and how that helps to shape you. Like, I don't want to say that you have to have a female presence in your life, but having strong women who will not let you get away with BS uh, (laughs) can be very instrumental in appreciating and valuing women. Just going to put it out there. Mm.
2: So if we have the perfect date, could we also assume dead body
0: because they were at a funeral home? (laughs) Well, there's no actual bodies, though. (laughs) That's
2: true. (laughs) Maybe they're in the coffin they didn't open.
0: (laughs) This is quite possible. Yeah. Uh, The only other one that I have is borrowed time. And that's mostly just because it, again, is one of those, oh, it's inevitable that whoever started Moxie will eventually be revealed.
1: Mm. It's also the confined time of a school year, too.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Which is a lot more apparent in the book than the film, I feel. Mm. Mm
1: Yeah, definitely. The film
0: is like, how long has passed? I have no idea.
1: No, I agree. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: Okay, so sadly, not a bingo, and yet a fairly good showing for Moxie.
1: Mm. (laughs) Boo, no bingo.
0: (laughs) Well, Jen, before we do our usual end of show ramble, can you let (laughs) us know where people can find you?
2: Yes, you can find me lots of places. You can find me co-hosting the Losers Club podcast, which is a Stephen King podcast, and co-hosting the Psychoanalysis podcast, which is a podcast about horror movies and mental health, and on the White Ladies in Crisis podcast with one Joe Lipset, (laughs) where we are about to embark on some more um, White Ladies in Crisis And Mm -hmm. if you enjoyed um, my ramblings in this episode, I also have been writing the Strong Female Antagonist blog, which is a lot of my feminist thoughts about characters and um, hope to be building that out soon. So,
0: yeah. Yes. Nice. Nice. So, Brenna, we've got a very exciting episode coming up in just a couple of weeks. It's our 150th
1: episode. Oh my goodness, Joe. I can't believe it. Like, it was such a fun, silly idea. And I'm so glad we've made this many episodes. And I like hanging out with you every week. (laughs)
0: agreed and folks we would love to hear a little bit from you so we've been doing this for three years we obviously have our favorite episodes we've talked a little bit about them in the past but if you have memories or any kind of anecdotes about the reasons why you like the show mm-hmm. or why you listen or what you've gotten from it or anything like that, please do send us an email or send us a tweet because mm-hmm. we would love to include your thoughts on our 150th i was going to say anniversary our 150th (laughs) episode celebration
1: yes please do we've had a few tweets from folks saying what the show means to them and honestly it means the world to us to hear that we've been good company for you through the pandemic or through difficult times so (laughs) yeah so just a reminder it's hkhspod at gmail.com if you want to send something longer and we would love to feature your stories on our 150th episode yeah and joe where are we going next week
0: All right, so Brenna, uh, we've been teasing it for a little while. We are coming up on a brief hiatus, but we've got a couple more weeks of fresh content, so folks don't panic just yet. But uh, to coincide with another new Netflix movie coming out, this is a modern update which will gender flip the lead roles. We're going to go back to 1999 and watch the original She's All That.
1: Oh, I'm so excited. 1999 means there's almost certainly going to be some Smash Mouth on the soundtrack.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And Freddie Prince Jr. Don't forget him.
1: (laughs) I had. I had completely forgotten that he existed. (laughs) Rude. (laughs) Uh, So until next time, I will see you on the page.
0: And I will see you on the screen.
1: Thanks again for coming, Jen. Oh, thank you. This
2: was so much fun.